show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status. No. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Hey, it's Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about CVS Health's Investor Day. As the retail giant puts more emphasis on integrating their services, can we open our minds to a world where traditional and non-traditional players coexist for the benefit of consumers? I'll talk about that. Then we continue our 2024 predictions series where we're inviting pairs of all-star guests to share their predictions for consumer transformation in the coming year and beyond. This week, we're excited to welcome back two luminaries and legends, Jane Saracen Khan and Amy Haymans. How are health systems, health plans, and non traditional players addressing the calls to become more consumer-centric, and where should you be looking next? It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the Week. CVS Health's 2023 Investor Day gave us a glimpse of a new level of integration as they looked to define retail's role in the future of healthcare. On December 5th, they hosted their annual Investor Day and shared a few announcements, including new drug pricing models called CVS Cost Vantage and CVS True Cost, and an all-inclusive rebrand called CVS Health Spire. Last week, I spoke about the new pricing model and how it seems to be inspired, if not directly influenced, by Mark Cuban's Cost Plus drug company. Regarding the rebrand, CVS announced the launch of Health Spire as the new branded name for their health services segment, including Caremark, Cordavis, Oak Street Health, Signify Health, and Minute Clinic. President and CEO Karen Lynch said, Our biggest differentiator is how we can and will bring together all of our capabilities to deliver integrated solutions, making healthcare more affordable, connected, and better for all. We will deliver excellence in hyper-local convenience, set the standard for digital engagement, and innovate to drive continued transparency and affordability in our pharmacies. Close quote. This is a good time to bring up why I feel it's worth it to keep learning about what retailers are doing. The fact is, when I stay in the insulated health system point of view, I hear a lot of down talk about CVS and about retail in general. And I'm not saying it's all wrong, but people have concocted a narrative that retailers are ruining the healthcare experience and should be ignored or downplayed because they're fragmenting care, and that because they don't operate in the traditional walls of a hospital, their care is somehow less dignified or lower quality. But when we've spoken on this podcast with Senior Vice President of Retail Health, Dr. Craig Milford, and CEO of CVS Accountable Care, Dr. Mohamed Diab, their vision speaks to partnerships and coordination to benefit consumers. Are they really fragmenting our care? I can't say completely. But I mean, Minute Clinic is on Epic. I mean, so is Walmart Health for that matter. So I'm led to believe that there are economies of scale that people just seem to ignore or are unaware of. But maybe we start to change our mind when we open up to the possibility that hyper-local convenience, as Ms. Lynch put it, can fill gaps in the current system. One of the themes of this podcast is can traditional and non-traditional health coexist? And well, if we design with consumers' needs at the center, the answer is not only yes, but we have to. One way you can tell if someone's thinking from the consumer's point of view is if they see that convenience 
convenient retail care has a place in the modern consumer journey. Sick Care doesn't solve everything, and it was never meant to. I'd even say it's not fair to expect them to. By opening our minds to a world where care in traditional and non-traditional settings is valuable, we start designing the consumer health journey very differently. It isn't just hopping from one Sick Care episode to another and hoping to keep them in network. So yes, while at times it might seem like I'm a flag bearer for retail, all we've tried to do for the last couple of years on this show is to paint a balanced picture so that we can consider what non-traditional players are doing and see if there's a way to either partner, mimic, or approve upon what they're doing. That's what consumer transformation is all about. And that's why I believe that those of you listening can and should play a leading role. Let's be more open to what CVS Health and other non-traditional players can offer to those who are seeking care and open our minds to a future that can be more integrated for the sake of those we're serving. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week. All right, listeners, let's get into the flow. Our prediction series continues. I'm very excited for our next two guests in this series. We're going to welcome them back. We had them both on our prediction series last year. But first, we have Jane Saracen Khan returning. Welcome back. Happy to be here, Jared. So excited to dig in here. And your partner in crime on that episode was Amy Haymans. Amy's also back. Amy, welcome back. Hey, thanks so much, Jared. So much fun to be here with you and Jane. Yay. You know, if I use a term like double trouble, I mean it in a very endearing term. I mean, you know, came up with a with a great uh, set of thoughts last year. And so I can't can't be more excited to dig in this year. But before we dig in, I love to give our listeners a chance just to hear about what's what's the latest from the two of you. Uh, Jane, just tell us about like what what's up, what's been going on, what are you what are you thinking about, what what's up in the in your life lately? My first of all, I'm so blessed to get to do this work, to collaborate with you two, and in the great scheme of life as it is around the world, I really feel grateful. So thank you for spending quality time with me, inviting me to do so with the wonderful Amy, who's of course one of my favorite people in the whole world. With me, I've been splitting my time between the U.S. and the EU post-Brexit. I'm still spending time in the U.K., but not not legally in terms of living. But I have another life in Brussels in the EU, the capital of the EU, which has been really fascinating in the last year, working in healthcare with EU providers and, and uh, new entrants such as it is, a little bit different over there. And then uh, coming back to the U.S. And the big difference is in the U.S., I'm only covered by HIPAA for um, privacy. But over there, I'm covered by the GDPR. So I've learned a lot about privacy and data. And some of that may come into our conversation today. But I'm really happy to be back in the U.S. right now, having voted last week. And uh, that's a good thing to be a citizen on both sides of the pond. So really pleased to be with you, working across the health ecosystem still very much so right now, especially it's a busy time seeing the collaborations coming together, which is really gratifying. I love that you, you worked the way the word citizen in there already, because I was going to find a way to do that if, if we hadn't about halfway through the conversation. So it it is the word. So love that. Thanks for sharing. Amy, what about yourself? Tell us what you've been up to. Yeah, so I've been doing quite a bit of consulting. And you know what I'm trying to do is help organizations become more human-centered in their strategy, right? So my background is design. When I say design, sometimes people think visual design, interface design, UX design. Really, design is systems-level 
It's designing the services and the organizations that affect our lives so that we are obtaining good outcomes for real human beings and also the organizations who serve them. So really pointing my focus toward strategic consulting, trying to help organizations become more human-centered, and doing a lot more in the government sector and in the nonprofit sector, specifically looking at teaching human-centered methods to folks who haven't done it before and incorporating you know, a participatory commitment, an inclusive commitment, looking at empathy building activities, even empathy building retreats. So to try to get this uh, human-centered lens mindset and toolkit into areas where it hasn't been before, which is really exciting. That's an asset for everyone that you get to work with. So hey, let's let's go ahead and dive in. Just like last year, we want to have some fun and just offer some predictions. These aren't things like, hey, we're going to keep a score sheet here. We just want to see look, when we're talking about consumer transformation, we're talking about for sure an evolution of the concept concept of consumerism as it, as we first got to know it many years ago. Things have evolved. And so this just has to do with what the two of you are seeing, where you'd like to see the industry go. I feel like that's a fair thing to inform some of our predictions and, and, and conversations as what we'd like to see. So let's go ahead and get into this. Uh, Jane, maybe you can start us off. We're going to start with traditional providers and what we think maybe we can see from them. So this could be hospitals, health systems, through health and health plans, other provider groups, but traditional providers. What do you expect to see here when it comes to consumer transformation? When I think of this phrase, traditional providers, I'm going to talk about hospitals and physicians slash nurses slash pharmacists. So the frontline providers and then the brick and mortar hospital providers. I think the toughest place to play right now is this segment of uh, healthcare. Those who've been at the front line through COVID come through, and now we see hospitals still having a hard time, at least half of them, finding positive financial margin. So I'm the economist on the, on the call today. So, you know, you look at the Kaufman Hall hospital flash data, they've been monitoring these great accountants, actuaries, consultants, the finances of hospitals and physicians and what they're calling the monthly flash reports since the beginning of the pandemic. So I've been tracking these month by month by month, and it's a great longitudinal graph, though a sad one, because you've seen hospitals in the red until quite recently, just the last few months. And in every talk that I give, whether online or in person, I always have that map up, that graph up for doctors, that the physician flash, and the hospital graph, because we have to have, and I'm taking Amy's mantle here, uh, empathy for these providers. This has been the toughest part of the health system, doing the hard health care, whether it's inpatient ambulatory care, getting patients back after medical distancing for so long. So you're looking at a good third to 40% of hospitals in the U.S. now still with very difficult margins to manage, and that's due to supply and labor costs especially nurses. So that a lot of hospitals have to pay for traveling nurses for years. That's some reversing now, but it's still, um, we're still not in the black in a lot of um, accounting in, in hospitals yet. So telehealth to the rescue in some, in some places and uh, where hospitals, you know, did really well mounting telehealth. We still see telehealth as important. And I see now looking to next year growing 
It's especially useful for those providers taking on risk who can start to manage in an omni-channel way patients across different parts of a platform from a digital front door all the way through to inpatient and home to rehab for remote health monitoring, et cetera. And value is what gets us there quicker. And so, you know, the jury's still out on the pace of change in value, but I do see a greater uptick in value contracts in hospitals and um, health plans working with hospitals, health systems working with that. On the physician side, burnout and anxiety is still a very real, real, real thing, was before the pandemic, worse after, and even now. We have to deal with uh, uh, this key pillar of our human capital in healthcare. And so again, in Amy's world, the issue of empathy, designing with these workflows and life flows in mind for physicians, Patients and pharmacists. We're seeing pharmacists walking out of the likes of the big retail chains because they're overworked as well. So I think these are the, the trends that I'm seeing for next year. Hopeful on the uh, this omni-channel healthcare front where I spend time talking with these folks who can come together in an ecosystem way to provide care to the patient, right patient, right time, right place. In a value-laden environment, where not only the provider is looking at value, but the patient's looking at the value of their time, the value of their copay, coinsurance, deductible, so that they feel delighted spending hard-won dollars for um, their part of the healthcare bill. Amazing. You just use, yeah, use, use that word delight, right? How amazing would that be if, if that, that's part of the design and execution of, of more, more of the experiences that are involved in healthcare, for sure? Amy, what do you think? with traditional providers. Yeah, indeed. Such great points, Jane. And you hit the nail on the head, Jared. So how might we have a health ecosystem that provides delight? Um, And so the opposite of that is reducing pain, frustration, administrative burden, and sometimes utter incomplete chaos. I think it comes down to trust. What leads someone to trust an organization? What can we do to build that trust? What things happen that deplete that trust? And really, what's the value of trust? I know Jane's a huge fan of this as well. But I think so building trust, building relationship, ones that have longevity, ones that put a focus on human dignity and respect is important. And that gives me my next point of technology. Now, Obviously, the pace of change is accelerating. It's not just that things are changing. Things have always changed. We, we live in a universe that's in a, a um, constant change. But the pace of change is accelerating, especially with regard to technology. And organizations are trying to figure out how might we leverage AI? How might we enable and empower self-service? How might we get the, the, the right message to the right person at the right time and the right channel? And all these things are important, but we need to... Think about designing systems, technologies, organizations that serve people instead of people in service of technology, people in service of systems, people in service of organizations. And so it's that it's making sure that the humans aren't getting lost in the shuffle. There are specific examples right now where we still haven't sort of helped people make decisions in a healthcare setting, understand what's going on, understand their next step, and and confidently get them to that next step. 
and figure out how to connect human beings. So one of the companies I'm working with right now is called Glance. And what Glance does is, yes, you know, AI is going to support people. Yes, you'll be able to chat over text message. Yes, you'll be able to self-service, navigate search. But how do we detect and predict when people need a real human and get that real human, that specialist, that expert into the experience as soon as possible. And so that's where that company focuses. And, and that gives me, you know, the glimmers of hope, if you will, that we truly can stand on a solid foundation of AI to give people information when they need it, but also then connect them with the real human beings, right? So, so how can technology help us connect better, not become the connection, if you will. I'm glad because we don't want to have this conversation without talking about where technology fits in, like you said. So way to go. Let's talk about this from the disruptor standpoint. And I'd actually love to start with what the two of you consider to be disruptors. I, I use the, the term with capital D disruptors, typically to refer to retailers, payviders, and digital health companies. I know that's not all inclusive, and I do wonder if that term has, has evolved or changed at all. But Jane, can you start us off on this one too? And How do you define disruptors and what might we expect to see from them in the coming year? I've stopped using the word disruptor with all respect and love to you because um, healthcare, these traditional providers hate that life is getting disrupted all the time, not just by, you know, viruses like COVID and domestic care events in the emergency room, but the likes of any kind of retail health or technology company. I want to live in a kumbaya world where we're looking at collaboration and partnership. So leveraging AI and other technology and the knowledge that these potential collaborators have to complement and bolster and build well-being and, yes, enchantment and delight as partners for the aim of improving uh, public health, individual health, lower costs, the whole quintuple aim, relieving the stress and the, and the anxiety of our, our caregivers and addressing health equity. That's the fifth of the quintuple aim. I'm not going to use the word disruptor, but I will use the word, you know, new entrants. And then all of these non-typical, non-traditional organizations, I've added grocery chains and food companies to the mix because I've been working with more of them. And groups like Kroger Health, for example, part of Kroger, which wants to merge with Albertsons as soon as possible, this could become an amazingly scaled uh, community health resource for a lot of people. In the pandemic, grocery stores became beloved touch points in people's lives. They were one of the few places you could go not only to buy food, you know, hunt and gather, but to socialize with a cashier. And a lot of older people did just that. And families in large numbers did the same. So um, I've come to appreciate the grocery store with a pharmacy co-located as a health destination. And I'm seeing a lot of this work out in parts of Europe as well as through the, through the U.S. So we're looking at this broad definition of retail health. People who, where healthcare is located in somebody's home or closer to home enabled through technology companies, food chains, retail pharmacy companies. And what a retail pharmacy is anymore, who knows? Because you can look at the vertically integrated CVS Health slash Aetna slash Signify, et cetera. And now we have the likes of Best Buy, which I think is somebody I'm watching for next year. They keep announcing great collaborations with health systems 
from Atrium Health to Mass General Brigham, the great Mass General Brigham. So you're, these are not small things. When a Mass General will do a deal with Best Buy Health and the uh, Healthy Geek Squad folks for remote health monitoring, care to the home, et cetera, this is something to watch and where people can really benefit from. And to Amy's point about you know the design-centered world, these are the companies, these retailers, these food companies and grocers who are highly rated in experience, uh, CX, consumer experience, in studies from Qualtrics or the American Customer Satisfaction Index, the stuff I write about all the time. They know how to do this delight thing. How do we marry that then to the clinical side of things with respect and collaboration, not disruption? So everybody's got something to bring to that stew. And that's the hope that I have in 24, 2024, where we see not just pilots coming out, but scaling these services to the home, closer to home. And then, yes, with the brick and mortar Pill Hill providers, because they're key. Uh, we want our hospitals to survive in a new version, a better version where they can survive financially, fiscally, and again, being the great community members they, they have been, can be. So, yeah, that's uh, where I'm at on this new entrant thing. Perfect. Amy, uh, tell us what you think about that. Because I, I very much respect that. I'm real latching on that term, new entrance. I, I just think that leaves it not only less threatening, but more more inclusive, more all-encompassing, too. So, yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah, Amy, what do you think? Having worked for a really large company, I've seen firsthand how difficult it can be to adjust services, invent new services, bridge gaps, and chart a new direction. And so there is, to Jane's point, sort of a viscerally negative reaction to, oh, no, you know, disruption, change. Um, You know, I, I think bold action in the direction of a better future is required. But I agree with Jane that the canvas for this is collaboration across the ecosystem and companies knitting together partnerships that, um, you know, with capabilities and specifically to her point in the retail space, because health happens where you live, health happens in your home, health happens in your community, health happens with your friends. And increasingly, people are getting on the path to better health in sort of using methods that are off the radar, quote unquote, of the traditional medical system. So they may be changing their diet and uh, they may be trying to get a more healthful exercise, swim or walking or running or, you know, pickleball, whatever they're doing to kind of increase their uptake. They have wearables where they're increasing their, you know, step count. So they're trying to get smart on on living healthfully, and we know that all the top five most expensive and pervasive conditions are, you know, lifestyle related. So, of course, we still need the medical system, but it's like, how do we weave healthful activity, advice, and again, relationships, that layer of getting healthy with your friends and not just by yourself on an island is huge area of exploration. So I think also though, like getting to social determinants, right? So the notion of 
you know, the healthy, wealthy segment that can get the trackers and has the time to do the things and has the money to buy organic food and all of this stuff. The great things that are happening that, you know, to Jane's point is that that, you know, wearables are becoming less expensive. They're becoming more proliferated, more integrated into our personal devices, right? And knowledge about food and access to food is becoming a point of focus for some of these large organizations. So we still have a way to go in terms of solving like food desert uh, or food apartheid problems. But I do believe we can get there through a focus on health at home and, and community um, health and partnerships. I love that. And and I check pickleball off the uh, bingo card too now. So that's very glad we brought that in here. Absolutely. All right, Amy, I'll start with you on this one because we want to hear about what we think health plans, how they might fit into some of the trends you just described. What trends might we expect to see on this side of things? Yeah, absolutely. So health plans have access to millions of lives. So can reach people at scale, can pilot interventions and get good data, iterate, refine, right? Their focus, of course, is in identifying risk in a population and then managing the risk in that population to get people to the best health, the best health outcomes. But it's a financially oriented business driven by actuarials and and the like. But what's happening is because this industry has gone from sort of B2B to more of a B2C focus and other companies have come in to basically do well what health insurers haven't done well. So for example, decision support, guiding people along their health journey. Now health insurance companies have to look at what's going on everywhere in the health ecosystem, incorporate those capabilities where they can, and hopefully look at new ways of partnership and collaboration at the community level with pharmaceutical and life sciences companies, with retail chains to figure out how to provide a more integrated and streamlined experience for their consumers. And especially, and to Jane's earlier point about value-based care, getting folks to care, whether it's virtual care, whether it's nurses, whether it's coaches, you know, really filling the gaps in that ecosystem of care is going to become important. Outstanding. Jane, what are you seeing from your perspective uh, regarding health plans? Yeah, well, Amy mentioned the social determinants of health related to the previous question and now here as well. So we could spend time whining about health plans using AI to prevent people from getting care and denying care. I'm not going to talk a lot about that because it is what it is. And I think that will resolve itself fairly soon because there's a lot of scrutiny on that issue right now with United Healthcare, for example, just an example, not to beat on any particular plan. But there is some really fascinating, um, there are fascinating green shoots of health plans uh, copying to what Amy's talking about, spending money looking at housing, transportation, and food security, particularly because the, they are at risk for medical trends going up. We know health insurance costs will be up in 24. We've seen the premium increase studies from various third parties. So, I mean, you know, that's coming home to roost. The, the, co- the good COVID days of people not showing up for care and insurance companies' profits you know, that's done now. 
We're in another wave. These things go up and down. If you've been in the field, you know they're the, they're, this is cyclical. But we've heard that the likes of Cigna are looking to maybe turn away from Medicare Advantage. So we're going to expect in 24 some recalibration in health plans where some tough decisions will be made. What's my business model as a health plan or integrated delivery system, payvider, whatever. But there are going to be some tough decisions made and people will pick where in the portfolio uh, they're going to cut, where they're going to grow. The thing about the social determinants is this is going to be relevant for everybody because everybody is at risk. So once we cop to the issue of getting people to their appointments, dialysis, whatever, getting this issue of food security, which is a real thing gotten worse in the inflationary period. So that's why I look at food a lot now as medicine and why the grocery stores are doing more and more with the pharmacy and the food together as food is medicine. And then social health, to Amy's point about exercising with friends, it's also things like the group called PAPA, which is doing a beautiful job of trying to relieve some of the social isolation for older people and younger people, bringing folks together. So I think if we look at marrying the social determinants, social health slash mental health, which then is related to all this, diagnoses, people with acute conditions get better when their mental health is also addressed. So for most conditions that are newly diagnosed, there's always a, a co-diagnosis of anxiety or slight depression, which can get treated quite simply early on. And then your cancer, your Parkinson's fill in the blank can be dealt with more effectively. So we have to marry mental health into our uh, whole health system, which I, I do see happening in 2024 more with parity payments and especially telehealth and mental health. Having grown in the pandemic, that's the one area of telehealth that has stuck in a good way. So um, that's the, the short-term prognosis, short-term being next year for health plans. They're going to have a, a tougher time. They're going to have to get real about managing polychronic conditions and bringing mental health into the into the fray as well. Yeah, I wanted to jump in there and, and just add you know, both of you. I mean, there's sort of a, a common sense about, you know, of course, if people are feeling better socially, emotionally, and mentally, we know scientifically, not just instinctually and from a common sense perspective, we know that they're going to be healthier. And yet, you know, the way things are structured is that somebody has to be aware, advocate for themselves and basically fight to find someone to help them with mental health or social isolation or any of the social determinants, you know, issues there. So somebody has to be aware and has to advocate and self-advocacy is a problem um, when folks are struggling with mental health challenges. I guess my question is, we know that certain things improve outcomes and yet from a systems perspective, we still don't put the focus on the things that we need to that could reduce downstream costs. And I wonder it from your perspective, Jane, and you too, Jared, what is going to change that, right? It's like, 
you know, if we were able to get to access to the things we need, if we even, you know, helped people from like a life coaching perspective to reduce stress in their lives so that they don't develop hypertension. Of course, you know, I'm a big fan of well-being and prevention and, and stuff like that. But how do we actually get that into the system in a way that's that's meaningful? Who's going to adopt it? Who's going to embrace it? Who's going to push it forward? I think on the uh, commercial insurance side, employers are are pushing it a lot. A lot of employers have three, even four generations of workers in the workplace now. Older people not wanting to retire so soon, inflation, want to stay active. And then younger people coming in, the digital natives who only know technology and who want to work at home all the time. So you've got this multi-generational workforce, but the one thing that's true across all these generations, which I recently wrote about in my blog, is everybody's worried about financial health now. And now financial health is part of overall health and, and wellness. So you've got physical health, mental health, financial health, social health, all these lenses. So employer benefits programs are trying to attend to all these things in a kind of platform way, the way Virgin Pulse it deals with such such things and it's sort of pick your benefits, what's going to work for you. So they're customized enough, mass customized across the platform. I'm hopeful that the commercial side of things will do well. Medicare Advantage plans try to do some of that because they can offer some of those services. So we shall see. But I have to remain hopeful. The technology is there to capture the data, as you point out. Wearable technology, sensors on the refrigerator. In France, postman knocking on the door, making sure Madame will come to the door, see if she's eating, and report back to the postal service. This stuff's going on all over the world. Not that the U.S. invents everything, because we don't. So we can learn from other systems as well in terms of what social, what good social health really looks like as health citizens. There you go, Jared. Love that. <laughs> it is. It is right? So when we, when we think, I, th- I think this is the, probably the, the most almost tongue in cheek question, which is just predicting a big tech or be, big retail brand. I think we can open that up to any new entrant brand, but predicting the one that we'll be talking about the most and not saying what their moves might be, but who might capture a lot of attention. Amy, do you want to take a stab at this? Yeah, sure. So um, not necessarily a company in particular, but we are going to start to see conversational AI applied to health in a sort of health buddy triage sort of way so that you will have in your pocket sort of a nurse that might get you kind of a part of the way and that nurse will be AI and you'll be able to talk with them, right? And they'll be able to tell you, you should be concerned, call your PCP or you should be concerned, go to urgent care or you should be concerned, we're going to pipe you through to 911 immediately. So it's it's gonna it's going to be interesting to see who gets there first in a meaningful way adopting this technology. Of course, it's going to need to be monitored and refined, you know, whether it will happen in the next year or we're going to get there gradually. We might see kind of specific to like you sprained your ankle and there's a bot for that or you're in wound recovery and there's a bot for that. So we might see specialized AI and bots for specific things before we get to the more kind of generalized approach. Okay, Jane, where where do you want to go with this one? Well, I want a coach in my pocket, Amy. I love that so much. I was going to talk about Amazon as soon as Jared asked the question. So Alexa in your pocket, 
uh, you're at the grocery store, you reach for the Tropicana grapefruit juice and it says, Mrs. Jones, no, you're on a statin. You can't have a grapefruit juice. So I see that as something that's part of what you're talking about, informing the healthy grocery cart, the healthy behaviors, uh, as and when you want to opt into having those interruptions and that support. Amazon is the, is my answer to, to your question because their ability to move in and out of different things, learn, get out when they need to, come back in, taking a very long view on certain things, which I really respect. The kind of view we see from a Samsung or a company based in Asia, for example, which has shareholder stressors, but somehow Amazon seems to take a longer view than many. Let me point out, this is getting broadcast in December. I'll be packing up uh, when this gets broadcast for CES in Vegas, the Consumer Electronics Show, where we're going to see lots of Internet of Things stuff for the home and the kind of sensor things that, that Amy's involved with. But we also know by then Amazon will be building at least 20 brick-and-mortar clinics in the state of New Jersey with the Hackensack Meridian system. Building physical clinics. We're not just talking about Amazon Care Virtual for a digital front door. So, I mean, Amazon's going, you know, at this in an interesting collaborative way, segment by segment, whether we're looking at prescription drugs or clinics or virtual care or the cloud, (laughs) where, to your point, Amy, of a health plan knowing a lot about us, if Amazon chooses to unite data that's in many different places and they're not connecting all those dots yet, according to the people I talked to there. But if they could and did, they would probably know more about my husband and I than anyone on the planet, including our doctor. So um, who's pretty sharp? (laughs) I'm interested to watch Amazon next year. And particularly also to your point, Amy, earlier about food deserts, SNAP benefits are going up on Amazon Grocer. You know, we can get food to people, fresh food to people in a food desert now through a discounted Amazon Prime membership. So that's a beautiful thing. You know, you're, you, you, that doesn't get a lot of press, but it is it is a real thing. So um, we love these on-ramps for people to address the risks of the drivers of health. So that, anyway... My answer to you, Jared, is Amazon next year. Yeah, and you made me think of one more point, Jean, which is as pharmacies are disinvesting from the communities that need community-level support the most, I'm hoping and thinking we're going to see, you know, new service and product delivery models that are akin to either outposts with a virtual medicine or, to your point, you know, delivery right, right to your door if possible, but but those experiencing housing insecurity are going to have to have other models to support them, you know, as well. But, you know, it's a huge area of innovation to your point. Yeah, and Walmart's starting to look at delivering medicines via drone, I think. And, you know, Walmart, in my mind, can move the needle on scaling to mainstream, main street moms who work two jobs and are caregiving. So um, to our friend Alex Drain's work with Archangels and her informing that work through working at Walmart. So, I mean, you know, there's great hope out there. I really do hope these are themes that come to pass, you know, that we will see and focus on and and really get a lot of traction in this coming year, which maybe that's kind of the answer to our final question here from, at least in part, but 
kind of a, a way for us to wrap all this up is I think where we hope this gets us. Is our destination a better place a year from now? Are we at least talking about things in a different way? Have we made progress, not just as an industry, but as a society? Does it help us as health citizens? Does it help us as as human beings more than anything? So, Jane, what, what do you think on that? Like, where do you hope this gets us? Oh, Jared, will it be better a year from now? A year from now will be the 2024 U.S. presidential election. So need I say more? I have a heart and a head. I have that soft front and the hard head is as uh, a great author writes about. The hard head says, you know, health politics and politics in general being what they are, God knows. We cannot predict. But the soft heart married to the heart head read a piece in the last 48 hours that Novo Nordisk's GLP-1 drug, you know, for um, managing obesity and diabetes, Wagovi has shown to reduce heart attack for one in five people who use it who had heart risks ahead of time. This is a very exciting thing. It's a very expensive drug and not a lot of people want to pay for it. But if we take an ecosystem view, as I do, and we are in a value-based system managing population health for people with metabolic syndrome and heart and all of that, we look at the promise of this drug married to other things, to food, to exercise, to going to the gym, to the Y member who goes to the gym, who's older, who's got the pals around that Amy's talking about, to the health plan who's going to enable this, and to one of these tech companies that's going to, you could look at a Fitbit or Apple Watch, who's going to arm the person with some uh, with some uh, technology and then remote health monitoring to the home, say through an Omron blood pressure monitor. We've got the building blocks here to take the success of, say, this, this Novo Nordisk product. You get pharma working with groceries, working with health plans, working with the Y and gyms and a grocery store and neighborhoods or senior communities. You can draw the picture Will the health politics and the incentives align to allow us to realize that? Because I can paint the picture with, you know, Mrs. Smith not buying the Tropicana grapefruit juice in the store and taking care of herself. So that's my dream. That's what I'm working on. And a year from now, maybe a pilot, because, you know, I've been putting these things together for a long time. Will it be scaled? Not yet. But I see that maybe by the 2028 presidential election. Well, you know, first of all, the reason why Jean and I get along so very well is, you know, it's, it's, it's two sides of the same coin, which is the economics, which Jane represents. And I have an appreciation for, I love me some ROI calculations and figuring out what makes good business sense. But also, and then I'm coming at it from the human perspective, and Jane has, uh, he's a fantastic human and has an appreciation for the human-centered side of things. So I'd love to collaborate on some of these things, especially a pilot, Jane, but I would like to see a pilot, you know, by the end of next year, you know, something just extremely noteworthy where we've achieved the outcomes and built some evidence around that, which would be fantastic. I mean, I get a little... I have to consciously try to keep my hope up. It's hard for folks in the government, policymakers, regulators to take kind of outcomes-focused, evidence-based, 
human-centered approach, same for corporations. Any large-scale organization struggles to take this outside-in approach, work in a participatory fashion with the human beings served by the organization. It's, it's just really difficult. And so when we put our, our hope and our trust and like bank our future in what are these ginormous organizations going to be able, going to do to serve us better? I then pivot and I wonder from a communitarian perspective, how can people help people? How can we create structure and marketplace? whether it's marketplace of services, products, ideas, human beings, you know, friendship. I just wonder if the pendulum swung in a more communitarian direction, how could we sort of structure a system around that? And maybe um, the pilot we want to see is one that does go in that communitarian direction, supported by technology. Again, technology helps, but it's not always the holy grail. So um, looking at uh, the the people is really important. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Wow. We got through a lot. We'll keep an eye on these trends. We'll see how things do play out in the coming year. And hopefully we can can just make this a habit of of reconvening every year. But I've had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Jane Saracen Khan and Amy Hamans. Thanks so much to both of you for joining us today. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.